years in the hospitality hospitality industry and, and 10 years now working in the wine industry. Um, I wanted to create a space uh, and a platform for uh, initially for women to feel like um, they had a network of, uh, you know, inspiring people to connect with, um, that they had a space to discuss discuss a lot of the, um, the issues that they were experiencing as far as really being welcomed and fitting into the industry and having access to opportunities and leadership. Um, and so we uh, launched our first conference in person. Um, I'm based in Austin, Texas. And uh, so we did it in person here in Austin. And um, the you know, the energy and the stories and the dialogue that came out of that first event really solidified um, our, you know, the need to really launch into a full um, nonprofit organization to continue to try and do this work and, and hold these conversations. And so um, we ended up rebranding uh, earlier this year in January of 2021, um, just after uh, you know, after a lot of changes um, have been happening, uh, not only in the wine industry, but uh, within, you know, our country, uh, we all know what happened last year um, in regards to everyone being at home, but also um, really just uh, a refiring of um, the Black Lives Matter movements. And we felt it was important and, and no longer acceptable to just advocate for women that we really needed to um, be using our platform to advocate and for, for anyone that's ever you know experienced marginalization or has been intentionally ignored in the wine industry. Um, and so we rebranded to Lift Collective um, with the understanding that you know, this is a collective um, effort that we are a community-centered organization that really understands that not one person can, you know, make all the difference in the world. We all have our part to play, but that we are better and stronger together. Um, and so we are now in our uh, third year of doing this work. Super. That's great. Uh, and again, I know, have, you know, since I sort of in the same space that you are, it is, I know it's a lot of work and it's not just, a, it's not just a lot of work uh, in terms of, of effort, but it's also, there's a lot of emotional effort that goes into it too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that people, uh, I, I, th I think that we're all in a way having a reckoning that there's an emotional labor that actually goes into a lot of things. And uh, as we've, as you know, we've discussed before that we need to pay more attention to that and also how mental health it impacts the work that we do yeah and uh you know in our industry yeah, there that's definitely something that, that needs to be addressed uh especially since it revolves around an alcoholic beverage uh which you know <laughs> throws a wrench into it too <laughs> right. uh yeah but uh anyway well we can get back to some of that later on uh but let's let's talk about texas so you're a tex you're a native texan right pretty much yeah i um i i was actually born in, in San Francisco, but I grew up mostly in Houston and uh, then moved to Austin about seven and a half years ago. So Texas is certainly my home and my mother is also from here. So At what brought you to Austin? Uh, I was actually offer, um, offered the opportunity to open up a restaurant uh, here in 2014. Um, and I never really spent any time in Austin. So growing up primarily in Houston, you know, it was a bit of a culture shock coming here and 
it's uh, completely, completely different than Houston, but um, I, I really love Austin. I, I love a you know, little bit more of that small town vibe. Um, I miss Houston and, and for many reasons, but um, Austin has really come to be home the past, uh, past seven years. So a few weeks ago when I, when I was in Texas and we met up in Austin and I mm -hmm. was in a few other parts of the state, but I was talking to someone and, and she said that there really isn't like, basically, she, okay, she, there were two things she said to me. One, she said, everyone loves Austin except for people from other parts of Texas. Uh, and, and then the other thing was that there are many different Texas, you know, there are, there are a lot of different, like there are many, there's not just one Texas, there are a lot of different types of Texas. And I, I will say from uh, just having within a week's time, having been in Austin, Fredericksburg and Houston. Yeah. I mean, there, there definitely is a lot of variety in the state. I think that but there's sort of this idea of what Texas is that a lot of people who are not from Texas have. And you know that is just this monolith, but in fact, it's Texas is very diverse. Sure, I mean, it ha I mean, if you think about it's like the size of you know like European country, like France or Spain, Spain, you know, like how how many regional differences are there if you're traveling around France? <laughs> it's like uh, so many different pockets, uh, different subcultures. So yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Well, and. For the last few years, people have been talking about Austin becoming, or excuse me, Texas just becoming purple or eventually becoming blue state. And uh, I think that's something that the, the Texas GOP has definitely been listening to uh, mm -hmm. and is, you know, very likely, uh, as, you know, I would say has, that's what's been the motivation behind the voter suppression laws. Mm -hmm. You know, just realizing that in order to keep power, they're going to have to make it more difficult for people who are not likely to vote for them, which is pretty much people who are not white, people who are not young, people who, or people who, well, people who are less likely to vote for them are people who, who are young. Uh, and I just, I wonder, because like for me, I'm sitting here in San Francisco and we're like, oh God, well, thank God I don't live in Texas and have to deal with this. You know, California makes it generally pretty easy for people to vote. Although if uh, Newsom is recalled and Mm -hmm. I, just, I just can't I just can't go there right. uh, let's not let's not <laughs> yeah exactly let's not go there but uh yeah there there's been you have this happening like that and the voter suppression laws and I guess Florida was the first state to really uh enact it and then Texas and uh, Texas followed suit right after that mm -hmm. uh where Texas is the leader is in abortion and mm -hmm. uh now it is now the law in Texas where uh, if a woman is, cannot have an abortion after uh, six weeks of pregnancy, which is considering that most women don't know that they're pregnant because if you're two weeks late for your period, it's just like a, a skip period or, or mm -hmm. you know, it could be stress or something else. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it pretty much is going to you know, make abortion largely illegal like I, I heard that something 90 percent of all abortions in Texas occur after the six-week period right yeah I yeah. think I saw yeah around 85 to 90 from yeah Planned Parenthood yeah um, yeah I mean and there <laughs> there are uh you know what makes this so unique is that uh you know this is not really I mean of course the state enacted it but it's not you know, th this is essentially creating, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like a vigilante sort of situation, right, where 
anybody um, who has any inkling that you, that a person, um, person with a, with a uterus uh, needs to, or is planning to get an abortion, even if uh, they don't know for sure that that has been being carried out um, past that six weeks, that they have the right to essentially sue um, any individual who is um, aided uh, in helping someone get an abortion or, or has had an abortion themselves. And so, um, it's, it very, it feels, I don't know. I don't even know that there is a feeling for it. It's so surreal because I can't think of any other policies that even come close to mimicking this. And, um, you know, there have been certainly some, uh, private companies um, that have stepped up to try and support, um, to try to block this or combat it in some way, you know, given whatever um, type of industry that they're in, whatever they can do, um, there are people (laughs) taking action, but it still feels like these are a lot of small efforts that we're trying to kind of piece together to make real change and, and to provide hope um, for people here in Texas. And uh, unfortunately I will say that the the mood is dim. Um, it feels, I don't know, like, I don't even know where I'm living. Right. And then you have Mexico, uh, decriminalizing abortion, um, this week. And so it's just, you know, it's like on, on the other side of the border, it's so close. And I feel like we're worlds apart at this point. I'll tell you, we, we need to do a, a really quick break, but we're going we're gonna to come back just to uh, see that in, in just a second. Okay, we are back in studio with uh, my guest on the phone is uh, Rania Zayat, who is the uh, founder of the Lift Collective, as well as the wine director of Bucolina in Austin. And we're just talking about the abortion law uh, in Texas, the most restrictive abortion law since Roe v. Wade passed in 1973. And it looks like, especially considering that the Supreme Court you know, backed the law, where you know, it looks like Roe v. Wade might be getting overturned. Uh, and I just want to uh, read a quote right now from Governor Greg Abbott, where he said, Rape is a crime and Texas will work tirelessly that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the streets. So do you think he's just not, is he missing the point here? I mean, doesn't he realize that a a bill like this is just enabling toxic masculinity uh, and and misogyny and that it's, you know, just, it's a law that, that allows men to control women's bodies. Uh, And if anything, yeah, I, th- I think this is going to contribute to rape, rape culture. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think first of all, I'll just say that he's a. Can I cuss on this? <laughs> oh no, there. Okay, um, there. There are five words you're not allowed to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, you might. I, I'll put them in the chat, but you might be able to. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'll find other. I'll just use my my regular words. Um. Obviously, yeah. I think that's. Um more than, you know, beyond, oh, those are good words. Okay. Um, <laughs> beyond, you know, um, terms like misogyny um, and the patriarchy, I think that this really has to do with uh, white supremacy culture, um, colonialism. Uh, there are so many, <laughs> like, 
isms that this can uh, be tied to, but really this is about, um, this is just about oppression um, in general and, um, and stripping away bodily autonomy from, from people. And this is, you know, you're restricting the right to vote. Uh, you're restricting what we can and can't do with our bodies. Um, and specifically as somebody, you know, as a party who really has uh, no idea um, they don't, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, it's, this is a, I didn't realize that I'd be so em emotional, um, having this conversation with you, but it, it's really hard to, um, formulate clear thoughts when all I want to do is, um, is kick and scream. <laughs> well, but um, that, that you're allowed to do on the radio. Yeah. You, you just can't say those five words. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for, sure. for spelling that out. Yeah, you can scream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think that this contributes to rape culture. I mean, especially in a country where I think that a rape culture and uh, has certainly not been adequately addressed. Um, this is not going to by any means stop it. Um, there really isn't adequate protection for rape victims in this country anyway. Um, and I just feel like, just don't, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. No, take, take your time. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, it, it, is, it is, I think it is, it is a very emotional issue for a lot of people because yeah, no sooner that this law kind of passed through the te Texas legislature, then, uh, you know, other states like I, you know, are now trying to pass similar laws. And right. so I think that, you know, my guess is that throughout most of the South and parts of the Midwest and, and some other states too, there are going to be very similar laws. Uh, and I've got to say that to, to think that, oh, I live in California, I'm safe. Well, I see what's happening with the recall here. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I find it extremely upsetting that the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the right wing, you know, GOP, the, I mean, just the craziness of it. Uh, and I'm not talking about, I do think that there are, it's probably in the single digits, but I think that there are, there are sane Republicans that, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just with the way the party's gone. Uh, I, want, I don't want them touching the state, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and it really upsets me, the fact that, that like this recall's happening and it's cost the taxpayers like billions of dollars mm -hmm. for this. I mean, in general, I'm against recalls and now we're going off topic here, but in general, I'm against recalls. If you vote someone in and they're doing a bad job like just don't vote for them next time Un unless mm -hmm. they like break the law and then there's means for getting rid of them then but it's, i just find it it's I, I think it's it's just another way that uh the current republican party is trying to undermine our democracy absolutely and, yeah i mean i know honestly we're not really we're really supposed to stay away from from politics on on the show or you know on community radio and you know i'm not saying that the democratic party is all angels and but I, I think you know what our higher calling is to have a democratic system in place, and Absolutely. when and when I see things that are happening, such as what's going on in, in Texas and other states with voter suppression, uh, which also let's face it, th those those laws are also aimed at women because it's 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 harder. Very often, when you have a family where there's like a, there's a heterosexual couple, 
with children, even if, if both parents work, it's it still is often where the mother is taking taking on more child care responsibilities, especially when kids are young. So mm -hmm. it's often harder for women to get away to break. I mean, like anyway, it's I I, I feel like these laws are uh, that you know the abortion bill, voter suppression. I think they do have misogynistic undertones. And and honestly, I mean, I'll just say it. A lot of us have been over the last few years watching The Handmaid's Tale, and I start to think, is that so unusual? Could that happen here? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that I think that The Handmaid's Tale certainly, um, you know, primarily portrays white women. And I think that this bill really disproportionately affects and is harmful to um, people of color, to the LGBTQ community, to, um, you know, uh, uh, low income um citizens of the state, uh, people who live in rural uh, areas or medically underserved areas. I mean, this, this really has a, has a big impact and, and to me is uh, showcases almost equally more racist tones as it does, you know, misogyny um, because of who and how it impacts. This is not going to, as we know, this is not going to stop people from getting an abortion. Um, it just simply provides uh, less access to people who need it and who can't otherwise afford to travel out of the state um, and take time off of work and maybe get childcare and you know all of the expenses that can incur when you have to um, leave, when you need, a, when you have a, either a medical emergency or um, a serious procedure. Um, and so it just really, this is not just, you know, a women's issue. I will say that um, anyone with a uterus can get pregnant. I think it's important to note that. Um, but, you know, Texas is really one of the top states in the country for, for women entrepreneurs as well. So if we want to think about how this is going to impact um, economics and businesses here, I mean, you are really stripping away rights, um, human rights um, for half of your, you know, half of your entrepreneurs in this state. Um, how is that going to affect business? How is that going to affect um, people that are considering moving into Texas to take work? Um, I know that there have already been some surveys done that have uh, shown that um, a lot of uh, people, you know, millennials, um, women, um, people from the Latin community, black persons of color, um, feel strongly about not moving to this state now because of such restrictive, um, you know, voting voting laws, of course, but also now because of SB eight. And I think that this is completely short sighted. Um, if you know, as a state that really, I think, tries to thrive um, and pride itself on, on you know, uh, economics and business, like this is really just um, not in the best interest of, of the community. And also, if we can even narrow in a little bit on um, the hospitality industry, uh, we know that, you know, a lot of, of uh, low-income uh, professionals work in I mean, hospitality and retail are two of the top sectors for uh, uninsured and low-income workers. And now 
you know, people who already don't have access to, to simple healthcare, who, um, can't take time off of work or, or choose not to, because they can't afford to, it's just, there's, this is just going to be a snowball effect. And I think that you touched on that a minute ago with saying, you know, other states are already starting to rise up and, and see what type of uh, legislation they can enact as well. Yeah, right. And those states, I, I suspect Texas's neighbors are probably on the list of those states so that if somebody were to, let's say, maybe be able to get a couple of days off from work and, and go to Louisiana or Oklahoma, that they, they're still going to have the same obstacle. Right. I mean, and it, it's not like getting an abortion was already was like easy prior to SBA, right? It was already right. very difficult because um, you have to have two appointments. Uh, you have to wait 24 hours in between each one. It's like if you can even, they, a lot of uh, clinics were already shut down um, the past few years. And so the number of clinics that were available, you know, as we just mentioned, like Texas is a, the size of a country, we're getting, you know, if you live in a rural area, even being able to get to a clinic um, required days of travel sometimes, being able, you know, having to stay, be put up somewhere, um, so many, so many things. Right, so what we're looking at is having a return to back alley abortions probably, you know, back mm -hmm. alley as a term, which, uh, and yeah, I'm sure that there will probably still be some private doctors that people with means can afford to go to, although uh, they'd need to be careful because of the, you know, the, the bill allowing any citizen to, essentially make an arrest uh, for someone abetting someone who attempts to get an abortion. But for everyone else, there's going to who, you know, it's going to, there will be a return potentially to unsafe, unsanitary conditions. And that primarily affects low-income people and disproportionately people of color. So it, it is, as you said, it, it's a, it's a problem, not just there. It's, it's a, a there's an intersectionality to this problem where there's the, the component of racial injustices as well as gender injustice that, that we mm -hmm. have here. Mm -hmm. So, so we have, we know this, uh, the, que the question is what can, you know, what, what can we do about it? Like you mentioned that there were, I know there are some companies that are, uh, have criticized it, but it does that mean they're not doing business. Like the city of Portland said, I guess their, their city's going to boycott Texas products and they're also not going to do any more business in Texas. And I, I don't mm -hmm. know if San Francisco has followed suit or not, but I did re read that about Portland. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, like, is that going to make a difference? And like, yeah, are, are there enough companies that really are forgo willing to forego one of the biggest markets in, in the country? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that only time will tell. I think right now, um, you know, uh, platforms like, uh, GoDaddy, for instance, blocks, you know, an anti-abortion, uh, essentially, um, an anti-abortion website for, uh, called Texas Right to Life, um, for people that were suspicious or wanted to report on people that they thought were, um, you know, having or aiding in an abortion. Uh, you have Uber and Lyft, of course, that stepped up to pay legal fees for any of their drivers who might get sued um, by knowing or unknowingly driving someone to, uh, to a clinic. Um, I think Bumble and Match, two of the dating websites, have launched funds to support reproductive rights and support uh, some of the nonprofits here, like the Lilith Fund and Avow and 
um, Planned Parenthood. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're only, um, a week in and, uh, I, I, we need to keep, I mean, I don't think that, I hope that, um, you know, this isn't just something that people forget about and kind of move on with their lives because, because this is only the beginning, right? <laughs> um, so I think only time will tell, but um, I hope that people, there's so many causes to support, to donate to um, right now. And it, I feel like it's hard to be everywhere at once. Um, but for those that can do that, do you have the means to give? Um, people still need abortions. They still need access to basic primary health care. Um, and so anyone that is able to support some of these um, nonprofits, um, you know, that that's, I feel like that is the biggest thing that you can do right now, especially because a lot of these funds are going to be needed to, to hopefully to try and get people out of the state. Right. So it's going to require a lot more money. Um, there are going to be lawsuits I'm sure that are, that are, that have already been filed and will continue to be filed. Um, you know, our organization, uh, we did a fundraiser this past weekend to support the Lilith fund, which is the oldest, uh, organization in Texas fighting for, um, reproductive rights. And, you know, we were able to raise uh, almost $7,500 uh, in, in about three days, which was amazing. And I know that there are many other small businesses that are uh, putting together either fundraisers or donating percentages of proceeds um, to these organizations. So I would encourage everyone, please keep giving if you can, because um, the needs are not changing. Yeah, no, that's, that, that is true. Uh... And so most of the funding then is going to try to help women who want abortions or not most of the funding, but significant portion of it to get out of state then. Um, I, I mean, I feel like that is really the only viable option um, at this time, but I also do not work in healthcare. So um, yeah. yeah. Well, it's almost like everyone who, you know, is every person or everyone who has a uterus should mm -hmm. uh, and is sexually active should probably have like a home pregnancy test <laughs> just just in case at this point because yeah I mean I don't even know that those are really completely effective even before because it's yeah <laughs> it's yeah. I mean and even that costs you know a lot of money yeah for no, some people yeah no uh, of course it does well have you seen you know in the wine industry in Texas uh, and especially in, in Austin, is, are there any movements to try to band together to do something about it? Because I could see where, let's say, if you know, there if there's a big boycott Texas movement, well, not everyone in Texas is on board with what's going on there. So you know, you can end up, in, you know, really hurting the people. A, you can end up hurting workers, uh, and also hurting people who don't agree with it. So, uh, yeah, are are there? Yeah, you mentioned donations, giving donations. Is there anything else that you think people who can do to try to change the situation? Um, you know, I I wish that I had uh, more answers. Um, I think 
over time, hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll start to see more opportunities. I know that there, um, there are certainly going to be some, some marches um, nationwide uh, and, you know, uh, like at the, you know, NDC and then also um, in individual states, I think on October 2nd, that was organized by Women's March. Um, but I, I would say for, for everyone, if you can find some way to, to be involved, to take action. I mean, obviously calling legislature legislators is, is one thing, but um, yeah, I, I wish I, I wish there were more answers. I honestly have not seen um, that much information out there about ways to support aside from donating right now. Um, but if you're, if you know, if you are the owner of a company and you feel like there's something that you can, you can be doing, um, as a business owner, I would encourage people to, to take action in whatever ways that they can. Yeah, great. I'll tell you, let's take a quick break right now and then we'll change, let's change subjects and talk about natural wine in Texas when we get back. How's that? Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. Okay. Well. <laughs> okay, uh, we are back at studio. Uh, this is Pamela Bush. Uh, the show you're listening to is Fifth Wave Radio slash Queerly Drinking, uh, on KXSF.FM in San Francisco. And my guest is Rania Zayat, who is the founder of uh, Lyft Collective based in Austin, as well as the wine director and managing partner of Bufalina. So when I went to Bufalina a few weeks ago, and this is before we even met, uh, and I didn't know that you were a partner there or the wine director, I was like, wow, there's a great wine list here. <laughs> lots of lots of natural wine. There's so much I want to drink. I'm with two other people, but still, you know, we, we can't drink everything on this list. Uh, and then it, it was really cool going around uh, Austin and seeing how, uh, granted, it's a, it's a small city, but what's the population of Austin? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I actually don't know. Well, I want to say it's a little over a million. <laughs> no, I, okay. I'm pretty Maybe. sure. I don't know, because San Francisco's population is around 700,000 or something. Uh, the whole Bay Area is, is obviously a lot more than that. But San Francisco, Austin's a small city. Oh, no, know. it's 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 close to a million. Really? Yeah, about okay. 950,000. All right, I stand corrected. Well, so there <laughs> you go. Uh, and, you know, it's also a city where there's been a lot of migration to Austin and, and to other parts of Texas as well, which... And that over time probably will change the politics of, of the state too. It's just, it's just gonna take time. Uh, but I, I was really blown away by a couple of things. I was blown away by um, that there are, like there's a gas station that sells natural wine. I know, yeah. I bet, right? Uh, and also that there was like more vegan food in Austin than there is in San Francisco. Now, I'm not saying this to diss on San Francisco. You know, San Francisco, I love you. Um, but, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening down there. And, and how have you found that natural wine has been accepted, uh, in, in your journey? Um, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate when I entered into the natural wine space. Um, I come from a traditional wine background. I worked at a steakhouse uh, for many years in Houston, selling a lot of big, you know, cabs, Bordeaux, all of that. Uh, so for me, I started working with natural wine about, I would say five years ago, which was um, right around the time, uh, slightly before I started working for uh, Bufalina. 
And there were only a few people in town at that time that were working with those wines, um, as there really weren't many um, distributors carrying the wines here in Texas, you know, that that market was still predominantly in, uh, you know, on the coasts, right? Um, so really hadn't come to Texas yet. And um, my husband actually was one of the buyers here in Austin. That was one of the first people to really start working with natural wines. And so I kind of got my introduction to them by just tasting wines that were on his list and him bringing them home and blind tasting me uh, on them. And um, at the time, it's kind of funny because I remember sort of recognizing this flavor uh, in a lot of the wines that he would blind taste me on. Um, and I would say, oh, this is, an, this is a natural wine, isn't it? It kind of has this like nuttiness thing to it, which now I associate with mousiness, which is kind of funny. And I'm not saying that to say that natural wines are um, all mousy. Um, and, and can you explain I was gonna what you say. mean by mousiness? <laughs> I know, but yeah. yeah. Um, it is, uh, it's one of the primary flaws, I think, associated with, um, some natural wines, uh, that essentially, um, uh, on your palate, it kind of tastes, unfortunately, like, uh, like a, a mouse, the way that mouse cage smells or like crushed peanut shells, um, or to be, it tastes like really nutty. Um, and it can be in, uh, you know, it can be, um, in some very small, um, or, or large amounts, but it's definitely considered, uh, to be pretty off-putting, I would say. Um, and so, yeah, it's a flaw, <laughs> but there are, there are people and there are, or there are places that, uh, you know, where you can like find it. lots of, they like it like Mount lot. And sure. that's something to me, like, I totally get that. I mean, taste is very subjective. And if everybody liked the same wine, we'd all be screwed because there wouldn't be enough to go around. So right. like it, that's, that's cool. But uh, there is something to, I, I think that let's say most people can agree that uh, if something smells like poop, it smells like poop. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I still don't really get the whole, uh, yeah, light enjoying wines that are super mousy. And like, if it's just a little, there's a trace of it here and there, it's like, I, I could tolerate that. But then there are the wines that where, and another thing too, is if a wine is mousy, it's not like it blows off. It just, yeah, it, just it gets, usually gets, gets worse. worse. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, there, it's sort of like, there's the, the kind of the people who are like the, the zero, zero, you know, mm -hmm. mafia, a zero, zero meaning, uh, nothing added to the wine, nothing taken away, no sulfur, and just really wine that uh, is made in the way that it was made, you know, a couple hundred years ago, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. or even a hundred years ago. And there's honestly, like, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't really have, if people want to drink massive wine, I think that's fine. It's just, I, I think what's happening is that there's almost like a generation of wine drinkers that are, uh, that have kind of, that are being weaned on this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like that, and don't really have experience with other wines. Like for instance, you like you said you came from more of the classical uh, wine world, and I've been in the industry for thirty-one years. So I've basically you've tasted thousands and thousands and thousands of dot lots of different kinds of wine, and I've 
uh, you know, have had all the first growths from Bordeaux and you know, the highly coveted wines throughout the world. Right. I don't necessarily need to taste them again. Yeah. Uh, but, but even if you don't have a chance to try that, just having a benchmark. And I think even having a benchmark of what like really good natural wine should, mm-hmm. you know, is, uh, and when I say good, I mean that where you don't have a flaw, whether it's mousiness or Bertranomyces, uh, or that, or that completely overtakes the wine. Like to me, a wine is flawed if all you really get are the flaws and you're not getting anything else. It's, it's one thing if, okay, it has some Bertranomyces, which you know, often gives like that kind of barnyardy quality that pe- people get again. Mm-hmm. Or let's say if you, there's a little volatile acidity, which is that sort of like a vinegary sort of character that sometimes you get in wine or, or like a nail polish remover character. It's not really, it, it, sometimes if there's a little bit in it, it's it's not the end of the world. Like Chateau Massar is always riddled with VA and is yeah. with with bread uh, and it's still absolutely delicious and and ages really well. But I don't know very many people in the natural wine world these days who even know what Chateau Massar is, let alone have tasted it. Right. Uh, and I think that that is, uh, I, I don't think it's a service or as a service, that's not the right way of putting it. I had this discussion with, you know, I've had this discussion with other people. And it's like, is there wrong with just knowing natural wine and nothing, knowing nothing else? No, I don't think there is anything wrong with it if you're just drinking it and you're a consumer. If you're a professional though, I do think it, you, you do need to know what conventional wine is all about because you're gonna have people who are gonna, who are con- conventional wine drinkers who are gonna want to buy wine from you or mm-hmm. take a recommendation from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that has been, that has been certainly the biggest, um, my biggest asset moving into working with natural wines, because, um, you know, as you kind of got a glimpse of at Bufalina, you know, from the beginning, um, our owner, you know, he loves Burgundy um, and has uh, certainly, he initially put together a really amazing list that had this really great balance of, you know, um, kind of the extreme natural wines of the day. This was like in 2013. So, you know, the Frank Cornelisons of the world. And then also had a really amazing balance with uh, some really incredible burgundies, high-end burgundies that still also happen to be, um, that, that are still natural wines, naturally produced. Um, and, you know, as the, the list has grown, uh, that has always been an important component of balancing our wine program. And it's to show that there is a spectrum of natural wine as well. It doesn't all, it's not all, you know, zero, zero flawed, you know, crazy, funky wines um, that are maybe slightly fizzy when you open the bottle or explosive pet, pet nats. Like that's not what they're all about, um, that there are really uh I think classically flavored wines, um, but that are made in sustainable ways, uh, you know, either with organic or biodynamically farmed um, fruits and uh, no, you know, um, fining or filtering, maybe very minimal SO2, sulfurette bottling, um, but really other than that, like a a very hands-off approach. Uh, to winemaking. And what I really liked about transitioning from Houston to Austin was that uh, I felt like the clientele here was a little bit younger, a little bit more adventurous. They were looking to spend less on a bottle of wine um, overall, which 
there are a lot of incredible value uh, bottles in natural wine that you know sit at less than a hundred dollars on a wine list. Right, but but then it was, it was like yes, sit at less than a hundred dollars on a wine list. But the other side is like from a retail perspective, you do hear a lot of people say you can't find a natural wine for under twenty dollars, which you know, we're in the industry, so twenty dollars doesn't seem like that much. But if you think about the average uh, consumer. They're not spending $20 on a bottle of wine. So it does seem like a lot. Uh, and that, that $20 bottle of wine, it, let's say you've, it's a, you're, even a $25 bottle of, of wine retail is still going to be over $50 on the wine list. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, at least the research I've done with millennials and how they shop for wine is $20 is that sweet spot. Um, and then, it, you know, there is a percentage uh, that will spend really up to $30. Um, but I think even within that category, as we're starting to get more access to these wines in, in Texas, um, and, and even in the U.S., I'll say, but primarily in, in the Texas market, um, that there are more offerings. Um, you know, we have on our uh, e-commerce boofleenawine.com, we have a whole section of wines that are $25 and under. We do a happy hour every single day for half off bottles under $100. So people can come in and really like take advantage of, um, you know, any really any bottle that's like $99 or less and get it for half price. And so create kind of creating those opportunities for people to be a little bit more experimental um, and, uh, and really just get outside of their comfort zone. And then of course, we've also seen um, a large influx of wine clubs, uh, especially since the start of the pandemic. I launched one at the restaurant uh, that was very that has been very successful. It still is, um, but it's a great way to um, get people to try things as well that they wouldn't otherwise try, um, and all while keeping it in a in a price point that I think is, you know, wine is still I would say a luxury product, right? It's not <laughs> like if we're being honest, uh, it's not anything that we need depending on who you are. Um, but it is, it is something that I think people have kind of started to incorporate a little bit more into, um, into their budget. Yeah. We need to take another quick break. Uh, and then, uh, we'll just come back in, in a minute and welcome back. You are listening to fifth wave radio, purely drinking. This is Pamela Bush. And, uh, I have it, my guest is Rania Zayat, who is the founder of lift collective and, also the managing partner and wine director at Bufalina in Austin, Texas. So uh, we've covered a lot of ground today. We've gone from Austin's, uh, the voting laws, the abortion law, and now we're, we're talking about natural wine. So I, I do want to sort of tie this all in, in a way. Uh, I know that you, you said that one of the reasons why you started the Lyft Collective was because of the yeah, what you saw is the discrimination, the, the sort of the toxic uh, atmosphere toward women. Um, and again, that's, that is a reason why I started the Vingard and I've been do, doing a lot of things that I've been doing too. Uh, do you think that we're starting to see a change? And I say this specifically with the natural wine. And let me just give a little background here. When yeah, to, to say like, I can't say there was a time when I got into natural wine, I've always been into it. It's just, it wasn't called natural wine. And suppose there were very few of them. I had a lot of other ones too, then tried to find those that were, uh, you know, not manipulated uh, or the least manipulated. But mm -hmm. 
Over the last 10 years, I've seen in the Bay Area, uh, it started, I think it started out when I, the natural wine movement, where it was just a lot of people who were idealistic and they were just sick of tasting stuff that was like really manipulated. Uh, but over the, I'd say from 20, whatever, let's say the last 10 years or so, within the Bay Area, there was this uh, really, the, a toxic, atmosphere I think started to rise within the natural wine community where there wasn't just there was tons of misogyny uh, and that to me made it I was like what these guys are younger than I am they're in their 20s and 30s how like weren't they schooled in this uh, uh, it wasn't just that but it was sort of a perpetuation of this like white elite uh, cool kids club Mm -hmm. uh you know with with everything that's in it and uh, you know with the, what's been happening over the last couple of years it's, it's definitely has uh i think may, maybe it's subdued it maybe it hasn't i i honestly i don't know but what i have seen is that more as more people are getting into natural wine uh, more women are getting into natural wine more non-binary people are getting into it, more people of color uh i think it's maybe just drowning those some of that out a little bit at least that's the experience here in the bay area where i feel like uh if you're into natural wine, there are actually places where you could go now and avoid that scene where a few years ago you really couldn't. But that's the Bay Area. Uh, what's it like in Austin? Um, I think that our community in Austin. I, is I can't Austin. hear you. Oh, I'm Hold I'm on. here. Oh wait. Oh wait. Oh okay okay there you go. Thanks. Okay sorry about that. No worries. We had a technical um, glitch here. Yeah. No, I think that um, the Austin community is, uh, wine community has always been uh, really, I think, progressive and um, just very welcoming. Um, I, yeah, there are a lot of great people in the city that uh, are working in this, um, in this sector of the industry that I think uh, really do prioritize, um, you know, activism, uh, supporting, you know, and, and working towards creating, um, a more, um, sustainable industry, uh, you know, socially, economically, environmentally. Um, I will say that, you know, going to France and being at wine fairs like Ladive and, uh, the other, you know, Anonyme, um, that is a totally different experience. Um, and it feels like, uh, kind of the same, like, I, I mean, wine tastings in general, I think have always created a really, um, really, really difficult scenarios for, um, I would say primarily for, yeah, women and uh, people of color and really anyone who's not uh, cis white able-bodied male. And um, wh why is that in, in um, your opinion? I think that, uh, I mean, at least in my, and I'll just say for my personal experience, um, I, I've always noticed that, uh, a, it's, it's been hard to get up to the table. Uh, if you're not like loud and kind of being willing to use your body to like move through crowds of people to like be visible and be known, um, which, you know, as, as women, I think, in a, and as for a lot of people, we are taught to be small and to not take up space. Um, so that can be already somewhat of a challenging scenario. But then even when you do get up to the table, um, I found that the, when I ask questions or try to engage that, um, the responses that I get are kind of dumbed down a bit or, um, 
I, you know, I'm dismissed. Um, and it's has never, or you're, you're getting, you know, the wrong kind of attention. Uh, right. And, and <laughs> you're only being, um, viewed as a, as a body um, and not as a person or as a wine professional. Um, so it, it can be equally frustrating in that regard, but I did find that the switch from uh, the conventional to the natural wine world in those specific circumstances just felt like, you know, for lack of a better, like old dicks versus young dicks. <laughs> and it was just kind that, of- That strange. actually is a word that you can say on radio, but yeah. I didn't see that in the list. Okay. Yeah, okay. No, no, I, I, think, I think you can, but- no, I, I know what you mean. It's like the old boys club becomes like the young bros club. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you, so you found that it, there was more of it in the natural wine world than the conventional wine world. That I, I would say it was, it seemed about the same uh, for sure. Um, but again, I think that that is, um, that does not relate to my community here. I think that Austin um, has a really great uh very, I would say, welcoming wine community. Um, certainly there are areas to improve on, but I would say within natural wine, um, yeah, I think it's it's a pretty great community. Yeah, uh, that that's great. I mean, Austin, I said, I think it's, you know, I think it's one of the yeah, best places, best cities. Now that I know it's an even bigger city than San Francisco, uh, in, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the country. Uh, but, it, you know, insofar as, the culture of natural wine is concerned. Uh, you know, I'd like to think it's changing. Uh, I know that I, people who have been among the offenders, frankly, I haven't heard that much from them, but you know, we've all been for the last year and a half, you know, in, in various forms of, of a lockdown or business is not, has been going on as usual. And you know, that's, that's changing. You know, we, even, even with uh, COVID still spreading, businesses are get they're getting back up on their feet, which, you know, thank God, and you know, moving on. And I, I wonder, let's say, if we can, things continue to open up and be open, what sort of atmosphere we're going to have. Like, mm -hmm. As we, we were in a conversation earlier today about, you know, is it people are just doing something because of the moment, but once, you know, once everyone is kind of back to work, are we still going to be paying attention to these issues? And, mm -hmm. or, you know, is that sort of the, you know, that culture that uh, privileges you know, cisgender white men, is that, is that still going to be uh, as, you know, as in effect as, as it was before? And I guess, you know, what we'll see, if we don't really know. Yeah, I, I mean, I am very optimistic uh, about the future. And I think that there is no going back to pre-2020. <laughs> um, too much has happened. Too much work has been done. Um, there are more voices joining the conversation every day. And I feel like we are, uh, we're, you know, yeah, I won't, I won't say that we're in a great place, but I do feel like the more people that we can bring into, into this work, into creating change, um, the brighter the future will be. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm with you there. I am, I am optimistic. I think we know, I don't think we're going back to where we were pre 2020, but I think that we, we need to be really vigilant about it. Yeah. Uh, and realize like that there were just so many things of, you know, within our industry and, and many other industries that were just not working before and that need to be corrected. And that's so much of, you know, that people need to give something up too. Yeah. 
yeah absolutely yeah i bet you know we sh we shall see it you know we, yeah we've spent a lot of time today talking about texas politics and and just sort of issues within texas politics uh not really the politics themselves uh you know it's i think it's, it's very frustrating because you, there are these big issues and you think what can i do i could you know so you could send a check to you know lilith or to planned parenthood but you, you know there's it's what you can do is something within your own sphere of influence that's mm -hmm. where you can have the most impact is on your like the local level the field you work in absolutely and and you're doing it so uh i want to thank you for that we're just about out of time uh but thank you for being here today and thank you for all of the work that you do uh again my guest is rania zayat who is the founder of the lift collective and uh the managing partner and wine director of Bufalina in austin texas if you get go to austin definitely check out Bufalina. the pizza is absolutely terrific and as a new yorker i think i have a little authority on that one <laughs> uh but yes it's 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 great stuff uh yeah so rania thank, thank you so much thank you so much for having me on it was a pleasure absolutely and for everyone else who's listening in i'll be back next week uh it I'm still working on the guest list for this, but I think it's going to be a really fun show. I don't want to say anything until everything is confirmed. Uh, but again, next Tuesday, uh, we will have Fifth Wave Radio and then Queerly Drinking. And until then, I'm going to leave everybody with a little music and uh, hope that you have a good rest of your Wednesday. We're, we're good oh good okay yeah no you, you you can uh you don't have to worry right now about talking we're, we're off the radio okay okay <laughs> well, between the meeting earlier and this i'm kind of happy i just feel like i need a drink yeah no i'm 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 with you sorry i was uh well i won't apologize but it definitely was i felt like it was hard for me to articulate uh anything clearly at the beginning of the conversation no no i think i think you were great and i think that you you showed what an emotional issue it is yeah and uh so there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to apologize for that and i'm sorry if i said anything that was triggering to you no 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 no. it's important to talk about it <laughs> thank you yeah no it is but i you know i do want to be sensitive to the fact that you know it can sometimes be a little bit too much for people so my apologies uh how did you feel about the meeting by the way um today i i mean i thought it was great i didn't really uh know who is behind a lot of the writing so it was great to see some familiar faces like john and jane um yeah they're they're terrific yeah they're I, yeah. great so um but i thought it went well i mean i i think that it's uh i don't know i think that um i hope that you feel satisfied with the feedback um that you got but i think honestly to me it seems like it's in a really good place yeah to to move forward with launching and yeah how did you feel about it so i feel like hey you know we're we're, we're gonna we might get cut off because i'm out of power but you know, i think that it, i think it was good uh you know mariam's the one person there who i have not met before so i really would love to kind of get more of her impressions on it too mm -hmm. 
but yeah, you know, but this is this is an evolving process. I think it was really just to try to introduce everyone and you know help try to get the ball rolling, and we're you know we're we're going there. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I think that we're it's it's at a point though where it definitely needs it needs more stakeholders, it needs more people to get involved in it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and diverse people. And, you know, I'm hoping that some of the people and perhaps you, you know, would want to become you know involved in in the pledge as it moves forward because it's as I said it's not about any one organization and mm -hmm. uh, or people. And I think it it really, you know, as we as it you know goes goes on, we we do need fresh voices and fresh perspectives too. But I I do feel good about it. It was I you know there was some really good feedback. Uh, took some notes, and I think that you know there are some things that maybe we sh we should add to it as well. You know, like like questions buyers should be asking importers and yeah. winemakers about their wines. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's a, that was a really good point and suggestion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I that's something that I have honestly struggled with since the whole Valentina story broke, and like what you know, what can I be doing? Um, right. cause I feel like you can ask the questions, but then, um, a lot of the times the answer is like, well, I'm not really sure. And then it's like, well, okay. Like, do I just make it a point to say like, please know this in advance, but then also I'm not even tasting that much anymore because, uh, I mean, of the pandemic kind of got out of the habit of tasting, of course. And then, you know, a natural wine allocations are so fucking small anyway that it's like generally you're just trying to get what you can get before it gets snatched up by someone else if you want to you know maintain a competitive edge and it's just like it's it's it feels like it's getting more difficult and so I know that certain importers like Zev and Superglue and a few of them have really started uh to take a you know it basically enact like pledges and um yeah those types of commitments, but it still doesn't seem like it's happening on the scale that it should be given the uproar of the Valentina thing. Well, I'll tell you what, this, this would make a great discussion. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should do it. Zeb's on our board, by the way. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah. But you know, I, my, I think my computer's about to go to sleep. So I'd rather just say goodbye now than in mid sentence, yeah. uh, okay. but yeah, thanks again. And definitely like, let, let's be in touch. Okay. Because I, I, I think that, uh, we should maybe add some of these, like put together a list of questions for buyers and, or the buyers can ask them. Maybe if, if you're down, you can help out with that. Yeah. Okay. okay. That All right. Great. Cool. Thanks Bye. a lot.